Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching with mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. So welcome to another edition of Fearless in Devotion. Now, I've got a bit of a confession here. This might sound a bit tiresome because we've just had a three-hour tour de force with Dean Scott Keats. Now, that's going to be a podcast that's going to come out later. We've got a really good guest lined up for you uh, today. But yeah, it was a wide-ranging interview and we're going to love you to hear that in the next few weeks. But first things first... Liam, what was your favourite eating establishment on, um, is it, is it Hill Street in Wrexham? Hill Street? York Street, <laughs> York Street, it's York Street, sorry. Yeah. Next to the private shop, which I never went into. Uh, well, it, well, it's as good as it is, it's not Black Peppers, that's a good Indian restaurant on York Street, but it's not got quite the, the offering of the fat boar, wondrous wondrous food that I could eat for hours but I'd be as big as two Andy Dibbles. Um, right, very quick question then. Is the fat boar on York Street better than the private shop? There was a few fat boars in the private shop when Andy visited it. <laughs> <laughs> you leave my mum out of this too. <laughs> I'm not putting that hey. Right. Um, before we get into our guest, and it's a good one, he takes a while to get going, but when he does, bloody hell, uh, he does, and it's over a certain a certain thing that's already been mentioned on this podcast. Um, talking about reacting to things, now, Wrexham did not win in 34-degree heat in Yeovil yesterday. Tim, are you aghast? Are you frothing at the mouth? No, no, it's... it's... Twitter has gone into absolute meltdown. How dare we draw in 30-degree heat? Um, not good enough. Shit performance. It's the second game of the season. We've got four points from two. There's got to be some context and some common sense applied to this. There just has to be. You know, I mean, we're not going to win every every game. We never have done. We never will do. Um, you know, if we win on Tuesday against Chesterfield, all of a sudden it looks like a great point. So, you know, we've had two not amazing performances so far and we've got four points out of it. So, you know, it's not it's not as bad as it would seem. I've got people on Twitter saying, this is a disgrace. It's, nothing's changed from last year. We're, we're playing the same old shit. And somebody said, oh, why can't we just for once play like Brazil? Well, it doesn't guarantee nothing. You might have one good performance and not necessarily win it. So, I, it's, you, you, look, whichever way we got to get out of this division, I don't care how we fucking do it, as long as we do it. If that means playing average every week and we get points on the board week after week after week, I'll take it. It's as simple as that. Liam, you're a well-known frother. Um, so, are you absolutely apocalyptic with rage at the moment? Nope. <laughs> is the simple answer. <laughs> What's happened to Liam Randall? Someone has kidnapped Liam Randall and replaced him with someone 
placid. Yeah. <laughs> the hot takes just seem to come earlier and earlier, though. Every season, it's like if we if we, if we were ten games in or something, and the performances are still a bit sketchy, uh, etc. etc. Fair enough, but two games in, four points on the board. I just I don't see the need to panic. It's I didn't think having money could make some rucks and funds more miserable, but in some respects, I think that there's always been expectation. And whether that's been realistic or not in the past is something that's up for debate. But I get that it's now bigger than ever, but you've still got to to earn the right to beat teams like Yeovil. You know, it's not, especially in the conditions that they played in, it's no mean feat. Um, and same with the fans as well. We just got to, we can't just turn up and expect to win. We've got to bloody earn it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for me, I, I still think there's another signing to come. I mean, I know Phil Parkinson said he's more or less happy with his squad, but I, 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 I could see someone coming in, in midfield. I could. Um, I mean, Tom O'Connor's injured again. I actually said to you guys, like, when I looked at the first team that was put out on Saturday, I know it was like, Change. I thought that balance was pretty good. You had O'Connor and and Young in midfield, and then you had one attacking mid in Lee. Now, obviously, we thought that Davis was injured at that time, but maybe away from home, that might be the way to go forward. And maybe if O'Connor is injured, they might look to another midfielder. I don't know what you think, Tim. Do you think our business is done? No, I think it'd be um, it'd be stupid to to think it's it's all done and dusted. I keep saying it week after week. I'm like a broken record. I still think we need a horrible, horrible, just grim midfielder. Equal sorts the men from the boys and just do the dirty work. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, but we've got three very nice cultured midfielders, but we've we got anybody who really does the the dirty work as Luke Young, the man to mop up all the time. I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, you know, we've got a really good squad, haven't we? So there's no harm in adding to it because we can do any time we want now, like every other team in the National League. So, you know, we're not going to... Sean Harvey and co, we're not going to make all those efforts to get FIFA to back down on that stance and then not use it. So, of course, there's going to be more movement, whether it's imminently or further down the track. But I would imagine by, I mean, next four to six weeks, we'd have... Some more bodies in. Um, somebody's mentioned that the goalkeeping situation again. Um, apparently, Howard had a bit of a sketchy show yesterday, but I wasn't there, so I can't badge for it. Um, but he still remains our number one for the time being, and we don't know how far Lainton is away. So, yeah, there still needs to be um, some further movement on that. I know we've got the uh, the lad in on a short term backup as well, but I don't know. It's you know, it's. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to focus on positives. Four points. Yeah, not that. I bad, mean, I, I am too, and I, I still think Howard is experienced enough to work out this league, and it might take him a bit of time, but I think he will do it. I mean, you know, he's 35. He's played at a much higher level than this. He's still getting to grips with the uh, with the national league. I mean, you know, I do sort of think there is a school of thought that if a, a goalkeeper comes in doesn't have a good few first games, the pressure's always on him. But come on, we, we can't think like that. We've got to think that Howard has got enough about him to work this out and to come through a sort of a sticky start. Now, our guest today is some someone that me and Liam interviewed a couple of weeks ago. Um, very, very, one of the, you know, one of the 
people who made us glad to be a, a Wrexham fan for a certain time. Very talented. We we all hoped he could really go on and go up the leagues. It didn't really happen for for this fella, but it was very interesting to chat with him. Now, I just want to sort of, the sort of background on this is I don't know if anyone listened to a podcast we did with Brett Ormerod a couple of months ago. Me and Tim did it. Uh, Brett mentioned this player a lot, didn't he, Tim? He did. Yeah, he was um, <laughs> not 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 complimentary about him. I think he was frustrated in the sense that he knew he had loads of uh, talent, talent in abundance, and couldn't quite uh, maximise the his potential, I guess, and that frustrated Brett enormously, and to you know swear-induced proportions, shall we say. Good old Brett. So he was he was pretty fuming, but yes. So in without further ado, um, we will present to you none other than former wing wizard, however we pronounce it, Adrian Chislevich. What a great fella he was, by the way. Really nice fella. And here he is. Enjoy. At Wrexham, we love our foreign players, the lads from across the globe who bring something different and really we can really take to our hearts. This particular lad comes from Poland by the Faroe Islands and Man City, and most of us knew right away we had a cult hero on our hands. Lightning quick, he thrilled and infuriated us in equal measure with only 140 games and some amazing goals, including a match rooming performance in a game we'll never forget. He cemented Wrexham's proud link with the Polish nation and is constantly talked about on this podcast, from Scottish Pete to Andy Morrell and uh, even Brett Ormerod. But we'll talk about that later. Welcome to the pod, the one, the only, Adrian Chislevitz. Hello, hello. You okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Bit of housekeeping first. Did I pronounce that properly? Yes, you did, mate. I've had worse pronunciation than that, but yes, that's good. <laughs> good, I'm happy with that. Next one, preferred nickname. Now, I've always known you as Sis, but there's a lad I mentioned earlier called Scottish Pete. Now, Scottish Pete thinks you're the best Wrexham player he's ever seen. Now, there's a bit of a caveat to that. He's only been to four games. One was Brighton. One was the FA Trophy final. But he thinks, honestly, every time we talk about Wrexham, he, he says, I was cheesy. And I go, well, apart from the fact that A, he's not called cheesy, and B, he ain't been at Wrexham for eight years, I imagine he's absolutely fine. Have you ever been called cheesy? By the fans, obviously, I have, yes. But like you said, if he's only been to four games and I've played 140 games, I'm glad he didn't go to the others because I probably didn't play as well. So, um, But yeah, like I said, I've always been known as Sis for the lads, um, obviously in the change room and so on. The fans obviously give you a different nicknames sometimes. And um, yeah, I just sort of go along with it, to be honest. So Cheesy stuck. <laughs> That's it, yeah. For, for most people, I think it did, yeah. So let's go back. So born in Poland, where does the Faroe Island link come from? Yes, yeah, so uh, I lived in Poland until I was seven years old. Uh, my dad played professional football in Poland as well. He got uh, one of his previous managers got a job, a manager's job in the Faroe Islands. And it was a bit of an exotic adventure really for my dad at 33. He thought, why not? He's never left Poland before. So um, he went up there by himself for the first year. Um, he thought it was a, a nice place. So he brought the whole family with us, me, my brother and my mum. And uh, we ended up staying there for, for, for eight years till I turned 16. So um, that's sort of how it came about. So is it, your brother still plays out there? Is, is the family still out there or are they back in Poland? In the moment, Dad, when I, when I turned 16, I went to Man City. Uh, my parents went back at the same time, back to Poland. They sort of thought, you know, there's nothing keeping them there anymore. Yeah. Uh, 
my school and then obviously I moved to moved to Great Britain. But uh, yeah, my brother played in Denmark and then um, yeah, he managed somehow to get back to the Faroe Islands. So he's still there at the minute, yes. Yeah, the Chisel Victors have a proud Faroe uh, tradition. Um, right, let's talk about this accent because I'm obviously you can pick up a bit of Polish. I think there's a bit of Scandinavian in there and I also think there's a bit of Northwest in there. Would you agree on that? Well, I've had Australian previously as well, so I don't know, whatever you prefer. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, like I said, I've, I've lived, I lived abroad, you know, more than I lived in Poland. So um, even though Polish, my first language, I probably used English more of my life. So um, um, I lived abroad for some, you know, over 16, 17 years now. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that's the thing. That's where the accent comes from. It's a bit of a mixture of everything, really. Yeah. Um, so, so, so were you scouted by City in the Faroe Islands? Because I wouldn't have thought that there was a big Man City scouting sort of network out there. No, that's I it. Be wrong on that. Yeah, that's another thing. Um, I played for the Faroe Islands on the 16th national team, um, even though I didn't have a nationality, uh, Faroese nationality. There was a, it was only a friendly tournament down in Scotland in Aberdeen, uh, which Sir Alex Ferguson sort of kept it for the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years, and it's, I think still going now, to be fair. Um, and they just asked me if I would, would be interested to come. Obviously, I was, you know, good enough at the time. Um, and I thought, why not? You know, you can show yourself on a, you know, on a different market abroad. Um, you know, I was only 15, 16 at the time. So I thought, why not? And then I done recently well. I picked play of the tournament and, and when I was out there. And then a few offers came along. So I went to Liverpool first for two weeks on the, on the yeah. trial. Uh, but that's when sort of Rafa Benitez coming in and all the new staff came in and stuff like that. And they asked me to come again on a trial. Um, but then I just decided, you know, I've done that. So why not try something else? And City came along as well. So, um, so I thought I'd just try it out there. I had a friend as well who played for Man City at the time uh, from the national team. So, um, right. yeah, I thought I'd try it out there. And then, yeah, a deal came along. So, Yeah, what, was, what sort of state was the club in there? I take it it was... Was it sort of before the major takeover? But I think there'd been another takeover, hadn't there? Was that a Thai yeah. takeover? Thailand, Thailand, whatever businessman, whatever he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. When I joined, obviously, you know, it was, you know, Man City was one of the best academies in, in the country. And obviously they gave lots of opportunities to, you know, to the first team, to the young players. I thought it was the right choice. You know, realistically, Liverpool, would I ever have a chance to play for the first team? Probably not. Uh, Man City sort of relied a lot on the academy, didn't they? So I thought it was the better choice at the time. And um, yeah, so um, I went there. Obviously, you know, the, the standards was really good. And um, yeah, Mark, um, we had uh, Mark Hughes as the manager for a little bit. And uh, yeah, it sort of, you know, it sort of uh, went from there, really. Yeah. What was it like for a 16-year-old lad to come from the Faroe Islands, sort of live on his own? I mean... I mean, I think it's gone from the days like you hear about the 60s, just chucked in a house somewhere um, and left to your own devices. I think you are looked after a little bit better now, aren't you, On at the top clubs? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. You know, the first first month, you know, I was ringing my mum and dad and I wanted to go back home. Um, you know, it wasn't easy, that's for sure. Um, you know, you come to, to Britain, different culture, you know, different, different country. Um, my English was okay at the time, but obviously not perfect as well. And um, yeah, and I was like you said, there chucked into a house where obviously you know I was living in a you know step family, you could say you know they, they were they were great. That wasn't the issue. It's just obviously yeah. away from your mom and dad first time in your life, really. So um, yeah, it was definitely hard. But like I said, once you know you start playing games and you know a couple of months in, you get you know score a couple of goals and you get a bit confident. Um, and after six months, I was fine. Do you know what I mean? But it's just the initial transition was was definitely tough. Yeah. 
So how did how did this, the move to um, Wrexham come about then? Um, well, it's Dean Saunders really. Dean Saunders rang me. Um, the Man City thing. That's when I was leaving. That's when the big money sort of came in. Yeah. Uh, they, they released. Well, they didn't take anybody on from the academy that year. I think it's eighteen of us. I got told, you know, if we need a player, we'll just go and buy one because obviously the money's here now. So they didn't need any young players really, and they already had about forty-five players of in Carrington. So um, yeah. I sort of went went back to Poland when my when my contract finished, and uh, I had the agent at the time as well. So I sort of weighed my options. Um, Bradford came came along. Unfortunately, the manager got the sack at the time. Uh, Aberdeen came along. The manager got the sack there as well in that summer. So my options were getting a bit limited. But um, Dean Saunders rang me in Poland and um, yeah, invited me over. With my dad for two weeks. He said, "Come have a look, stadium. Obviously, we had Collies Park at the time. Yeah, I'll uh, be come down and me and my dad looking at each other, saying this is definitely not fifty year football. Mm. So uh, you know, everything was very promising and. Um, yeah, I just thought it was the, the the right choice at the time to, you know, hopefully get first team football and the right step in my career, yeah. Such a big turnover of players at that time. I mean, you must have been one of the few Dean Saunders survivors, as in someone who came in at the start of his reign and, and was there all the way through. On a scale of one to ten, how nuts was he? Uh, a good good nine. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard yeah. so many so many Saunders stories. Um, Crichton, he scouted him with biscuits, um, a bag of cash. I don't know where that came from. Um, something about a lawnmower on the, on the back of the back on the truck. I mean, did he do something different in training every day that made you go? Oh, definitely, uh, yeah. But I could probably keep going. Like I lived in the lad's house. We had a house in, in Pandy at the time, which was obviously around the corner from Gresford. Um, mm. And then we had uh, Justin Maiebi actually staying in the house and and there was a spare room, but there wasn't a bed in the house. So Dino at the time, he goes, oh, listen, lads, after training, I'll come with a bed for him and, uh, you know, we'll sort him out. Um, don't know, an hour later, two hours later, just hear this massive knocking on the door, bang, 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 and open the door. There's Dean Saunders standing there with a mattress on top of his head. <laughs> I was, oh, that will happen a couple of days because I couldn't find a bed. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't see a manager just doing that, turn up on your doorstep, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, he just, just randomly turned up in the house and look at our fridge, what we eating if we didn't play well at the weekend. He will come and have a look, make sure the fridge is done properly, there's no junk food in there. And, yeah, he was just, he was just different, that's for sure. So, um, very... like... No, sorry, go on. Like, we could keep going a while, you know, about Dean Saunders, so... Yeah, I mean, he sounds a very generous man, but he doesn't sound like your normal sort of manager you would get now, which is very sort of, I don't know, there's a lot of stats, a lot of pro zone, a lot of, you know, a lot of sort of doing things properly, as as the as the guidebook says. I don't get the feeling uh, Saunders was like that, was he? It, no, no, like I said, obviously, like I said, all these stats stuff, you know, has changed so much in the last couple of years. Um which, you know, though you could say in my opinion, I think it's taken over too much of actually what matters, and that's obviously the football on the pitch itself. Yeah. Um, you know, you can look at the stats, people running 15, 16K, but, you know, they can't pass a ball a yard, do you know what I mean? So um, you can look at the stats as much as you want if you're not actually watching the football match. But, um, yeah, back then, obviously, you know, it was maybe a little bit different style of football, yes. Um but um, yeah, with Dean, like I said, you just you just never knew what you're gonna get, really. So um, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely different. Yeah. What was he like on the training pitch? 
was he the sort of person that expected everyone to be as good as him? And obviously, he's a top-class international. You're a fifth-division club. I mean, did, did that mash a little bit? He, he did, yeah. But to be fair, you know, he was, he was expecting standards, which is, which is good. Uh, he expected, obviously, everyone to perform 100%, even though if they won... Even if they weren't maybe good enough, um, he expected 100% minimum every day, which was good. So, um, yeah, like you said, I, I think he, under, he, he was sort of exaggerating sometimes, but at the same time, he obviously knew the standard and obviously the level we're at. Um, mm. But he was obviously, you know, he was pushing the players to the maximum, really, to get the maximum effort out of them, yes. So, take me through it. He's, he's sort of, like, trained you all week and he, I mean, you might have had a special word in your ear, I don't know, but what was it like when you're standing on the right wing and you've got Saunders on the touchline in the box? Did he leave you alone? Oh, no, definitely not. No, definitely not. <laughs> I don't uh, think he would. Even if, even if I was on the bench, he was in the fourth man's ears and, like, obviously, you know what he's like, you know, he just he wouldn't, wouldn't shut up, would he? But, um, no, he was definitely in the ear. But then, like I said, on the flip side, you know, the information he was giving you was the good information. Uh, there's a difference between a manager just shouting anything on the touchline just for the sake of it. Uh, for me, obviously, being an attacking player, he was obviously a striker himself. You know, it was very beneficial for myself. Um, the defensive side, maybe not as much, but I suppose we had Brian Carey at the time who was doing the defensive part and Dean Saunders was doing more of the attacking part. So for me, personally, you know, he was very beneficial for me. So, um, yeah, as much as he was shouting in the ear constantly, he was, you know, good yeah. at the same I can remember one time, I think it was altering my way, and I was on the I was on the same side as as Saunders and Silvio Span was playing right back and I felt sorry for him. I felt absolutely sorry for him. It was 45 minutes of Silvio, Silvio, get back, get forward. And I could imagine that when he moved over to the other side, he must have taken a big sigh and gone, Thank God for that. But yeah. you know, that's yeah. passion for you, isn't it? You can't yeah. say he wasn't passionate. That's it. He had certain players that he did shout a lot. Neil Taylor was another one. Oh, no, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't leave him alone. And I'll never forget this as well. We played Histon away and that's, he took him off after 20 minutes because I think he oh, lost I remember that. Bro. Yeah. Um, and then six months later, he got moved to Swansea and you're thinking, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, it was, I'll never forget that when he took him off after 20 minutes. It was funny, but <laughs> I don't think it was funny yeah. for Neil. But yeah, no, I was going to say, I don't, I don't think Neil would have, you know, a seasoned international now who's still playing in the championship. Exactly. I mean, you don't know, maybe that's the sort of thing that, that really spurred Neil on to more. But, you know, you can't really say about methods now because I think Saunders is probably of a different era. But yeah. that doesn't mean that what he was doing then wasn't as, as effective. Because at the end of the day, it took him a while, but he moulded together a really good side, didn't he? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like you said yourself there, obviously the first year or two, I think there was like 21 players came in and at the end of the season, I think 18 left. And the first two years, yeah, there was loads of ins and outs. But eventually, like you said, we, you know, when he left uh, to Doncaster, he left a very good side behind, you know, that obviously we went on to push on then, didn't we? So, um, yeah, the only thing was missing really was the promotion, wasn't it? But I think everything else spoke for itself. Yeah, I mean, were there some players who came in and you, and you went, ooh, not too sure about him. Was it quite quite apparent? There was such a turnover. I know. Was there some that you just knew straight away weren't going to cut it in the fifth division? I really don't know. I really don't know. Like I said, this after one season, I felt like a veteran, didn't I? Because I was the only one staying yeah. behind. <laughs> but yeah, there was obviously, like I said, there were so many players coming in and out. 
Um, you know, I just sort of got on with my job, Jamie. It wasn't my sort of, you know, I was 19, 18, 19 at the time. You know, I was just sort of getting on with it. Um, you know, not my sort of place to judge the players that are coming in. So No, very diplomatic answer. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we said, Saunders has built a good side. He does, he does move on. I mean, Doncaster becomes a calling. Did you, did you as a player sort of think, Andy Morell's the man for this, or did it take you by surprise a little bit? Um, obviously, it's always going to be hard, um, you know, when the, when the, somebody you play with becomes, obviously, you know, the hierarchy, which is obviously the manager, do you know what I mean? And mm. it's always, you have to get that, tra- you know, transformation a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We just, obviously, I, I, I suppose we just took over the team and we just sort of, you know, got on with it and sort of kept the team, things the same. Uh, not much mm. change just you know kept them performing really and um yeah like i said the only thing that you know we we're missing last year it was was the promotion wasn't it really yeah when we when we sort of look at that 98 point side i think it was 2011-12 did you sort of look in pre-season and go this is a good squad yeah 100 percent. yeah like i said you know we we're strong in all areas we had a bit of everything really experience at the back obviously you know jay harris was doing what he was doing in center midfield um, the strikers doing their own bits, do you know what I mean? Danny Ryder, big brute up top, you know, he was doing his bits. And then if you needed something different, Glenn Little came on with his lanky legs, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, <laughs> had a bit of everything, really. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, 90 points not getting promoted, you know, that's probably not going to happen again, is it? So, no, unfortunately, yeah, no, it's just, is it unfortunate we just happened to be up against Fleetwood, Vardy? They took Fowler from us. Is it just that they were better, or was there something that, that maybe we could have done and didn't do in in that season, which could have meant that we went up rather than them. I always say, you know, in the end of the season, whoever's the top deserves to either win the league or go up. You know, we played 46 games in that season, so you can't really say, you know, they didn't deserve to go up. You know, they were they were above us and they were just better than us on on that season um, over over the whole season, you could say. So they deserve to probably go up that year. Yeah, yeah, and sort of. Getting to the playoffs, you know, it, the Luton game was just a shock to everyone, I think, wasn't it? Especially the home one, because we were we were so convinced that that side was good enough that it should have been promoted. It deserved to be promoted. And then to be knocked like that in the playoffs, it was, it was I think it was hard for all of us to take, really. What did that, what sort of knock-on effect would that have had for you and the players the next season? Um. Yeah, like I said, you know, any disappointment really. Like I said, in football, it's funny, we always say as footballers, you know, 90% is negative, 10% is positives, isn't it? You know, you can't rely on the positives too much, but then you have to pick yourself up when the negatives happen. So, um, you know, as a footballer, obviously I was only a young lad at the time, you have to sort of, you know, dust yourself and you go again, don't you? Um, definitely, you know, it, you know, it was very hard for the first week or two, but then, you know, you have to sort of, Unfortunately, you have to crack on and get ready for the next season, I suppose. But um, yeah, at the time, definitely hurts. You know, that's 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 for sure because obviously working the whole season, you know, to get something at the end of it, and we didn't we didn't achieve that. So yeah, yeah. I mean, would you think it was easier for you because you were a younger player to bounce back? And do you think do you think the more experienced players took it took them a while to get going that next season? Um, I think everyone's sort of different. Obviously, me as a young lad, you know, I never experienced that before. Um, you know, um, you know, across that experience, you sort of, you know, like I said, you know, career is long, isn't it? So you learn from your own experiences. But 
you know, everyone's different. Every human's different. Everyone reacts different to different things. So, um, like I said, experienced players might have had the highs and lows. Um, you know, like Dean Keith, for example, you know, but obviously I was after that. But, um, you know, players yeah. like that of going up and not going up. So, um, yeah, like I said, every individual is different, how they, how they cope with things. And, um, yeah, for me, you know, you know, I just sort of, you sort of learn from it. Yes, it hurt at the time, but you sort of, it's a quick turnaround in football and you have to sort of move on and see what the next, next thing brings, really. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, the next season, even though it starts a bit slowly, is actually better. Two trips to Wembley, probably one of the most memorable moments for many Wrexham fans and, and a cup run. If we first sort of take, take the cup run, that, that, that day at Brighton, Obviously, one of Scottish Pete's favorite favorite days. Um, it's um, did you give us a build up on that? Did you know you were going to be playing? You know, a couple of days advance. Did that affect you, or were you sort of like really sort of thinking this is my stage? Um, yeah, obviously, you know, people keep on saying, you know, he's 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 doing well. He shouldn't be here or should be higher up and stuff like. You know, I never let things get to my head. You go on the football pitch and you've got to perform to your best ability. Um, mm. Right, and like you said there, yes, I was called up on that. Obviously, I was told I was going to be starting that game. And uh, you can only go on the pitch and do 100%. Do you know what I mean? If, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. But, um, um, yeah, in that game, we just we just obviously had a game plan. Uh, we were definitely prepared for that game. We knew what we could do. And, yes, we went 1-0 down. But then, obviously, our heads didn't drop. And... Uh, Yes, we did have players in the team who could, you know, do something special. And lucky enough, I was one of them, you know, to do something in that game and take them back to the race course. It was an eye-catching goal, wasn't it? Sort of drifting past the couple and putting it in. It was, uh, it was one really for the for, for match of the day, wasn't it? But can you sort of remember it? What you did there, and what, was it what you were planning to do, or or was it just is it just a blur? And not, not really, like you said there, like, you know, being as a winger, uh, you know, the other players sort of look at you thinking, oh, he's going to do something for us, you know, to get us at the time to get us back in the game because we were 1-0 down. Um, you know, I've always sort of judged myself when, you know, assist goals, you know, creating chances in the game. You know, if you don't achieve it, those three, you didn't perform well. Uh, you know, my job sort of wasn't as much defensive, you know, I was obviously going forward. So when you're losing 1-0, you're thinking, OK, I'm going to have to do something here and try and get us back in the game. Um, you know, I never doubt my own ability. Um, always going to be confident in, in, in what I do. So um, at the time, I just thought, why not, you know, take a few players on. And like I said, lucky enough, uh, the ball went in. Everyone's sort of laughing, saying, would I have gone if it didn't take deflection? I always say yes, but I don't think no, it was. of course it would have. But uh, like I said, yeah, we obviously had a fantastic following there behind the goal and, you know, giving the fans something to cheer because they haven't had much over the last, you know, 15 years or whatever it was. So, um yeah, it was definitely one thing to remember. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was I was among them. It was two thousand. I think Brighton fans said ever we were said after we were one of the loudest away followings they had there that season. But you know, we trips like that and what came after really sort of sort of, really sort of revitalised the club that had been in the doldrums for a bit. And it, you know, it's still one of my sort of that season and parts of it is still one of my, my sort of most vivid memories following Wrexham hopefully that might be a clip soon but who knows but you know that's the sort of stuff that we that we cling on to and you, and you were a big part of it so Brighton coming back um at the race course I mean I thought we could do them and I think really and truly we were the better side for most of that game weren't we yeah oh definitely yeah like you said there obviously 
in that game, I, I felt like I had a good game as well in that game. Oh, to be fair, the whole team did really well in that game. Um, it's just a shame that Danny Rye got injured because he was uh, he was very you know very good in that game and that threat that was the first it was a half an hour when he got injured on his yeah. shoulder. Um, yeah, so I think we started really well. Obviously, both wingers did really well and we had lots of chances creating and stuff. But um, yeah, hopefully, I don't know if you've done the Dean Keats interview yet, but unfortunately, he cost us. So well, you can remind him of that. I, we haven't yet. He's coming up soon, and that's the first thing I'm going to say. Yeah, I missed the penalty. So, yeah, we had Newcastle next round away as well. So, already looking forward to that. Uh, did, did you take a penalty in that shootout? I don't, I didn't know. I didn't know. But you no. were still on the pitch, though, weren't you? You played the whole game, didn't you? Uh, I did, yeah, but my ass fell out, yeah. <laughs> oh, fair enough. You didn't even have enough gas for, for, for a nine yard run up. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. To be fair, at the time, I don't know. This before before Wembley, wasn't it? Um, obviously, yeah. still young, well, and yeah, did just didn't feel confident on the day. It's just one of the things sometimes. Um, if you ask, hey, would I take a penalty? You know, no issue. Um, yeah. so that's suppose a bit different, but um, yeah, at the time, I just didn't feel confident at all. But yeah. Well, that's one cup run. Uh, we do a segment on this called the Fearless and Devotion Moment, which is a moment in your career at Wrexham that sort of filled you full of most pride. Now, I'm asking it now because I, 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 have, I have a sort of slight inkling what your answer might be. So is it away at Gainsford? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gainsborough, even. He was so, such a small side, I didn't even remember what it was. So obviously, the FA Trophy. Can you... Can you sum up what I meant that means to you? I mean, is there, is there, is it probably one of the proudest moments in in you play Champions League football? But is that one of the proudest moments in in your career? Yeah, definitely. Like you say, in the highest moment, I was gonna say uh, sitting in the stands in uh, Epsi the way when I went there. Oh, I mean, that, that, well, you you sat in those stands perfectly. That yeah, that, you did really well. Based on the seven-hour bus journeys, that was fun. But uh, no, actually, yeah, like you said, the Wembley trip's obviously the one that stands out, isn't it? Um, the whole build-up, you know, being snowed in and, you know, my family came over from Poland I couldn't get them from the airport because everyone was snowed in and just the whole, you know, two, three days build-up really to the game was, you know, fascinating enough really even to play the game. But, um, yeah, obviously having my family there, my, my, my partner there as well at the time and then obviously, you know, 22,000, you know, Wrexham fans behind us, you know, never mind the Grimsby fans. So, yeah, um, yeah it was definitely special. Like I said, um, you know, in that game, to, to win that in the end, like I said, they gave the fans something to cheer for because they haven't had much over the last, you know, before that was it, 12, 13 years since they got relegated from the, from the Football League. So, um, yeah, definitely the, the, the outstanding, the biggest, you know, standout moment in, in, in my career for, for Wrexham, that's for sure, yeah. I mean, you didn't start that game, did you? When 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 Morel gave you the news, were you, how did you sort of take it? Because we had Joe Clark on a couple of weeks ago. He did not take it well. Did you go for a subway with Joe Clark? Uh, no, I didn't. No, <laughs> no. But no, um, no, no, no. To be fair, we had the team meeting. I think it was the day before, um, and Andy Morell was starting himself. Um, and then, yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. I wasn't happy at all because obviously I played every game building up to that in the cup semi final, even scored in the semi final as well, and I felt like I deserved to play. So um, went back to the room, and I was not gonna lie to you. I was throwing things around the room. And then two minutes later, he had a knock on the door. And obviously, I was already effing and jeffing, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, calling them all sorts. And then I opened the door, and Andy Morell standing there. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Um, Bastard Morell. <laughs> yeah, I thought, oh, 
here and you know that, but he definitely did. So, um, but yeah, he didn't have an issue with me also being pissed off because obviously, you know, I want to be playing. You know, I'm not there. Yeah. You know, watch the game and you know let the occasion pass you by. So, um, yeah, but we obviously cleared it up and obviously he sort of said, "Oh, listen, I've got a bit of a game plan. I want to play 60 minutes and it's going to be a tight game the first 60 minutes and I want you to be our match winner and hopefully come on and obviously you know win the game." Um, I was only planning to play half an hour, but obviously went to extra time. So I managed to get just as much time as he did. But um, yeah, but like I said, I wasn't happy, that's for sure. No. Um, but yeah, let's get on with it, really. I'm glad we did the day before because obviously then you have the time to digest it. And then the next day you just get ready for the game and obviously cheer the lads on. And then when you get, you know, get called up on, you just try and do your best. I think a lot of people will say you changed that game. I certainly think you did. I think your pace... Um threatened them they closed up a little bit there was more spaces for us before before the equalizer I mean I think you threatened a, a good few times um did you think you had something to prove or is just that that's what the stage that you wanted to be on like Wembley a big pitch a good pitch to play on something that would sort of suit wing play did you think that would that that coming on at that time was set up for you yeah, definitely. Like I said, they always got a point to prove, you know, if you're not get playing for the first minute, um, whether the manager, you know, agree with the decision or not, you know, always come on and you've got something to prove, yes. At the same time, like I said, you think, you know, you've only got half an hour here before, extra, you know, we didn't expect extra time at the time and you just, you know, try and give your best. And um, yeah, sometimes it does help, you know, you come on the pitch, you do sort of that first run, you get past a few players, you know, you feel confident and you feel like, come on, give us the ball, give us the ball again, give us the ball again. And uh, I can do something with it. So, um, yeah, at the time, you know, like I said, yes, I had a point to prove. But at the same time, I felt confident in the game. And I thought, you know, why not, you know, take the game to them and, you know, try and go past a few players like like I have been doing over the couple of years. Yeah. I mean, you certainly did. It went, it, I mean, Kev Thornton equalised. Um, it went to went to penalties in the end. And I think you took the first one, didn't you? So, so com- from coming from... from Brighton, us where you where you weren't competent to take a penalty, to you putting your hand up straight away. Do you think that sort of that's a competence thing for you? You'd had a good game, your adrenaline was up, and you you just wanted to carry that on. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, I, yeah, sorry, yeah, go on, yeah. No, no, go on. No, 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 no. I was like you said there. You know, your own experience, like you said. Yeah, you've been through with Brighton. You know, you didn't feel confident, but you've been through that experience. Like I said, you know experience comes with games with 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 life do you know what I mean so as older you get and you get more confidence and um, yeah at the time I just thought I always say this you know what's the worst can happen you, you miss the penalty don't show your face and wreck them again but if yeah. you score you score you're going to be the hero do you know what I mean and if you win so um I thought you know why not but then at the same time like you said there you know I had a good game I felt like I had a good game felt confident and you can probably ask Andy Murray as well I was the first one to put my hand up so let me take the first one he said, good, if you feel confident, go and take it. So, um, yeah, I just obviously grabbed the ball and it felt like a very long walk from the halfway line, but uh, yeah. luckily, um, obviously put it past the keeper and, um, yeah, the rest is history, I suppose. So did you not uh, go through who might take penalties? Uh, we didn't We didn't practice them at all, no. We didn't, uh, obviously, you had a few lads who usually take the penalties. Um, like Danny Wright used to take a few for us, didn't he? And, um, yeah, we didn't actually practice them before, no. Um, so when it came to it, it was more of a fact of who feels confident, who wants to take one. So, um, yeah, we had a few that went straight away. Chris Westwood, myself, Danny Ryan, Johnny Andre, they were the f- first four. Uh, mm. I can't 
the fifth one was, but I don't think it was anyone that was confident. So, yeah, <laughs> so I'm glad we all needed four to be honest. So, uh, yeah, um, just a word on Richard Brody. I mean, he's not very popular with Wrexham fans. <laughs> did you, uh, yeah, <laughs> did you console him or kick him up the ass? Because I hope you did the latter. Yeah, yeah, well, he's yeah, I didn't like him either to be fair, he's a bit of a prick, isn't he? but yeah. <laughs> Uh, just to say that Tim's joined us. Uh, hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm glad I've come in at the attacking Richard Brody um, point of the pod. Quite happy to come in on that point, definitely. Still in space, isn't it? That ball, I think. Still yeah, I, think it, I think it hit the ISS on the uh, <laughs> on the last run. That's it. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're we're talking about the, the trophy final. Kind of, I'll kind of pitch in with what what it may have been covered. Um, the introduction of uses in that game, I think, swang the belief even even further amongst the players, the management, the fans that we were going to go and win it because it was such a frustrating game. Obviously, McKeown had a storming game, but I just think you know your introduction and just that that extra injection of pace. I think it just gave everybody else a lift. I, I don't know what I don't know what you what you make of that. I, I just genuinely feel that. Sometimes you, you just need a bit of a game-changer moment. I, I think that, that extra 30 minutes, I just think it gives us that sort of mental edge, I think. What do you think? Well, like you said there, like, you know, I watched the game, obviously, seen a few times back, um, and I've always got to be, you know, criticising myself, you know, when if I don't do things right. I still think, you know, people saying you've changed the game, you've done really well. Personally, I think I did okay. Um, but as it should be. But yeah. like you said, you know, when you sort of, you know, do a few runs in behind, it does make the opposition think differently how they defend. So um, from the end product sort of perspective, yes, I did have a few shots and obviously a few chances. But um, I think I still could have done better. But obviously, you know, as older you get, you you analyse the game a little bit differently. And, um, you know, I always say this, you know, when I was 18, 19, would I have done things differently now? Yes, I would. So... Um, but like you said, there in that in that moment, yes, I felt very angry for not playing, and I felt like I had a point to prove and come on and obviously try and do your best. And um, yeah, I thought you know I sort of did that, and the lads obviously knew as well what I'm capable of. I think so. Like I said, when I gave everyone a lift, um, yeah, just obviously try to do your best. And uh, in the end, I thought I've 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 done that okay. <laughs> Is that you mentioned about about the anger about about not starting? You know, it's it's frustrating for a player, isn't it? When when you don't start a game of that magnitude. So did that did that give you an extra sort of extra motivation to say you should have started me and this is why? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I like I said, we just covered that bit there. I played every game previously in the cup, every round. Mm-hmm. Um, the semi final obviously scored at home for the three one, and I felt like I deserved to play. So um, you know, Andy Morell, I guess I understand he was the manager at the time and. Now, let's be honest, you you know, you could have done what you wanted, really. You can play himself, no problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 one of them things, you know. I, I couldn't say anything back to that. If he's the gaffer, he's the gaffer. So um, yeah, it was one of them things. I felt I should have played, I should have tired, but I didn't. And then obviously once, you know, it was good that he said that the day before, he said the team, so you've got time to digest. Yeah. Going into the next day in the game, yes, because you still, you know, it's still a team sport. So you go and cheer the lads on, try and do hopefully they do their best. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if Andy covered. I don't know if Andy covered it, and I can't remember. Andy, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure. I'm sure Andy Morell told us that he kind of agonised over that decision, didn't he? 
yeah, in Team Montana. Play, he wanted to play Sis, and Billy Barr was the one who talked him into playing himself. So you can blame Billy Barr. Didn't yeah. didn't Geraint Parry have a say in this as well? I'm sure there oh, was mentioned. Geraint, yeah. I mean, Geraint Parry had some sort of weird final say in it all, which is mental. I, I don't know. Maybe they might have been at loggerheads, and and Geraint was the was the coin was the casting vote. I mean, obviously <laughs> FA Trophy. FA coach Garant Parry, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, I I didn't know that until he told me this. To be fair, um, yeah. Well, Billy Bars, yeah. Let's just leave it at that, really. But <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 I got a sense that with some players, and and, and Lee Fowler's come out and said it that he Billy Bar wasn't his favourite person. To be no. honest, no. Okay. Yeah, like you, said, you had the Lee Fowler school of that yeah that's it yeah that's it yeah obviously i got along with andy morell um you know but yeah let's just leave it at that i suppose <laughs> okay let's move to happier things right celebrations is a two-part question one what part were you in the harlem shake and two what did you do after in the harlem shake i don't know i was just in the background of my boxes i think doing all sorts i don't even know what i was doing to be fair um, you were in the bin no, I wasn't in the bin. No, I was on the side somewhere. And after that, I remember Andy Morell said it. Don't you dare post it anywhere because if we lose, that's not coming out. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. So we just kept quiet till after. Um, so the celebrations as as a whole, I mean, I know we we've sort of gone through them quite a few times on the on this podcast. So I know you got a bus back, you got the beers out. Holt Lodge, I think it was, wasn't it? It was, um, yeah. Rich Walking, yes, it was. Uh, were you in the wheelbarrow with Glenn Little? Uh, no, I wasn't. No. <laughs> Were no. you aware that this happened? Yes, I was, yes. But like I said, some things uh, should have stayed with the team, but everything's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there any other little tidbits you can give us about what may or may not have happened in that Holt Lodge? I don't know. I wasn't there. No joking. Oh, I come on. I was, to be fair, my family came over from Poland. I've seen for a long time, so I was celebrating with them, to be fair. Um, and then, to be fair, the lads went into town. I didn't go to town with them. Um, so what happened in town? I just know they were running through town, you know, and Envy, Liquid and Envy at the time, wasn't it, through the, with the trophy and stuff. So I know they were doing that. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I was sort of more my family celebrating, really. Adrian, let's move on to the next sort of, big sort of Wembley showpiece and it sort of has echoes again really because it's um it's a big game it's a game where where the Wrexham managers decide to go with Andy Morrell uh Brett Olmerod and Johnny Hunter up front which is two of the older players and a converted left back I I mean obviously it's easy in hindsight to say to say this because we lost I actually think that was bigger a bigger sort of mistake than than the FA Trophy not to play you in that game because what I sort of think is even if you're not on the top of your game the threat of you and what you can do makes defenders defend in a different way and I think the the sort of front three they went with meant that meant that um, Newport could squeeze up a little bit and I think the game was quite was quite tight but I I, I just thought that maybe if you just started it would have opened it up a little bit more. I mean, I don't know what you thought. Were you were you more upset at not starting in that game or did you take it on the chin because of what had happened in the trophy and you thought you could replicate that again? 
Um, like you said there, with going Andy Morel and Brett Ormerod, I'm guessing he must have gone for pace because they're like 100 years between them. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like you said there, it's you know, I don't I don't like really talking about managers' decisions, you know, but obviously Brett was a good friend of his. Whether he was playing well or not, it felt like he was playing regardless. Um, you know, Andy Morel obviously was the manager who could have picked himself whenever he wanted as well. And then you've got me sitting there, you know, 21-year-old, you know, not going to say anything. And if he plays, he plays. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And like I said there, Johnny Hunt was left back playing left wing. So um, I felt like it didn't matter if you play well or not. Um, you know, you weren't going to get selected for, for, for one thing or another. So whether that's Andy Morell again making decisions or Billy Barr, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of the things. You know I mean, uh, like I said, the, this, the final in the FA Trophy, yes, it worked out because we won. When you lose, obviously you try and pick the bones out of it, aren't you? So um, yes, it wasn't the right choice. But if Brett Ormerot scored that sitter from five yards out, I suppose you know it might have been a different story. So um, this seems like a good time to to talk about Brett. Now um, we had Brett on the on, on the podcast a, a couple of months ago. Um, he was a live wire. He didn't stop talking. He talked about a lot of stuff, and he did bring up you. Now I think. Listening back to it yesterday, I think there was there's, there's affection there for you. He called you a lovely lad, and he really, I think he really, you know, he, he liked you. I think the fact is he thought you could have gone higher than what you did, um, and you know, me and Tim did that, and we were laughing along at the time because because you know we get we we were caught up in in Brett, if you know what I mean. He's quite an engaging Swear. fella to talk to. When yeah. you when you listen to that, does stuff like that hurt you? Or do you just sort of brush it off? Um, not to be fair, my, my mates uh, messaged me with a podcast, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yes, there were certain things in there that I didn't agree with. You know, when you you know you call someone lazy, that means you know you're not doing anything. Um, yes, as a young lad, did I stay behind training, doing extras and stuff like? That? No, I didn't. I'm not gonna lie, I did. But when you go on the football pitch, I give 100%. I did every single time, so you can't fault um, you know my attitude in in, in games and training. Um, did I do enough? No, I didn't. No, I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, you look at it now, what you could have done, what you, you know, sort of learned from your mistakes, I suppose, in life, don't you? So, um, but on the flip side, you know, it's it's like I said there before, I, I felt like it doesn't matter what you did in training or games, you're not gonna play anyway. So, um, you know, did, did I get enough chances to start the games? No, I didn't. Um, I think Delhi Adebola was 39, he was playing more games than me starting. So, um, yeah, it was just one of the things that, you know, whether he worded it the right way or not, I don't know. Um, obviously, I got wrong with Brett, so I don't have an issue with Brett, do you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. I just... don't think he has an issue with you at yeah. all. I mean, I, I just think he, he, he just looks at it from playing at very various levels and seeing yeah. people at different levels and thinking that he really rated you as a player and yeah. he wanted you to be the best you could be. Now, yeah, I, I, some of the stuff he did say, I think he was a bit throwaway, but he called you lazy and he said you never played on the shoulder. And, you know, maybe if he if he thought about that again, he probably wouldn't have, you know, he probably wouldn't phrase it that way. But I don't think there's a, I think there's an affection there for you. And I think he just wanted you to be as good as you, you could be really. So, you know. And yeah, it's it's there's differences though. Like if you're playing week out, um, you know, you know, teams watch you. And at the end of the day, we are playing 50 of football, aren't we? So mm. to be spotted, you know, be in the right place at the right time. Somebody's got to come and watch the game. 
if if you're not playing week in week out, uh, yes, players from the inside can say, "Oh, he's very good. He's very good. He shouldn't be here. He shouldn't be here." But there's so many players that you know they shouldn't be at the level that they are, but they are. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean the attitude's bad. It doesn't actually necessarily mean they're lazy. They just haven't had the opportunity to go higher, or they just chose a different player. You know, there's so many players out there even our contract at the minute. Um, that you know don't get a chance. So at the time. <laughs> I didn't play. I didn't get a chance to start. Like I said, I wasn't playing for one way or another. You know, whatever the reason is, you can't say I'm lazy that you don't run behind. You know, if you're chasing 150 flick-ons in a game, you know, that's not really, you know, tactical work. That's just being, you know, percentage football that you might chase a flick-on. I was yeah. trying to compete and trying to get on the ball like, for example, you could say the Brighton goal, whatever. I like to play with the ball on my feet. I didn't just run, you know, in behind all the time because it's quick or just run it behind. You know, it's you know I should be. You weren't that type of player, yeah. Well, I could have done you know hundred meter sprints in the you know Commonwealth now. So if I wanted to be a sprinter, do you know what I mean that wasn't the case? I like to be involved in the game on the ball. Now, whether you can't say I wasn't listening to the coaches, that's not the issue as well. Like obviously saying, oh, he's not listening to to, to Andy Morrell, he's not listening to so and so. You know, well, I know Brett was thirty seven at the time, but was he doing it in the game? If that's what you're after in a certain player, you know, was mm-hmm. he running? Well, he wasn't, but what else was he doing then? Do you know what I mean? So, players are different. Yeah. Um, managers looking at the players different. So, at the time, you know, I just felt like regardless if you played well or not, you're not going to get a chance. And obviously, you know, when I left Wrexham, it was part of the reason, but I felt, you know, it doesn't really matter because you're not going to play. So, try and move on and, you know, try and find different opportunities. Yeah. Do you I think-, think you just sort of hit against the click that you couldn't really couldn't really get past then a sort of Brett, Andy, Billy, and, you know, you just, you just didn't see a way forward for you. I wouldn't call it a click. I suppose was a strong word, isn't it? Um, but um, yeah, it just, you know, in the other day, you sort of judge the manager, don't you? Uh, so if Andy, whether Andy was listening to you or whatever, if he didn't play me, that's his choice. Um what I felt I should have played, but I didn't play enough games. You know, that's my opinion. Obviously, Andy might have a different opinion about this. Um, I felt like I didn't get enough chances to play. You know, I don't think I had a you know, run of games when I was playing maybe five, six, seven games in a row. Um, you know, in and out, in and out all the time. You're getting 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, you know, and they expect the miracles to happen. You know, it was 50 football in the other day. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, like Sterling, for example, you know, and <laughs> do a miracle yeah. thing. You know, if you're not playing week in, week out, you know, it's it's tough. And obviously, as further in my career I went on, I find that even now as well, if you're playing week in, week out, you know, your confidence there, you you know, you feel sharp, you feel good. Um, and if you're not doing that week in, week out, it, it gets hard. So um, I just felt like I was always bypassed by somebody else. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of how it felt. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Maybe click was too, too, too strong a word to use, to use in that sort of... Uh... In that sort of setting, because you know we we've had Andy on, and we know he's a he's a he's a decent bloke who just wanted the best for the team and his his players, and yeah. you know I, I I don't think anyone could could argue against that. To, to be Tim, fair, like, wanna... but Andy, well, maybe you just see me as an impact player. You know, you didn't ever see me mm. as a star. Uh, yes, like I said, let's be honest. The amount of players you see with ability that you know could have gone higher, could have gone higher. You hear that all the time. The stories, whether they had the opportunity to go higher. You know, that's a different story, isn't it? You know, whether somebody comes in and says, oh, listen, you know, I want to take him on, I want to take him on. 
you know, it, it sort of never happened. But like you said, from the inside in training, you could say, oh, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. You know, you could say Dominic Vos was a good example. Wasn't he? Everyone was saying he was an unbelievable player, but unfortunately yeah. never could go higher. Um, yeah. He's on that here all the time. Like obviously Blake Hodgson plays with us and uh, Leo Smith's with us now as well. They keep on going all the time. Oh, how has he not gone higher? Do you know what I mean? And you hear the stories all the time, but, you know, it doesn't actually mean that the attitude was wrong. They were lazy. Ability was there. It's just they never had that chance to go higher. You know, it happens all the time. Yeah. It's quite it's quite interesting listening to you sort of for that 10 minutes because it I can, you can sense the frustration even now, you know, long after after the claim recommended, you can sense it. But I think with that comes... Um, it still shows that the passion you had for playing at the club. I suppose what the, the question I'm trying to get at is, given everything, all the spotlight that's on the club at the moment, the expectation, um, the pressure. There was, all, I think, there was always pressure playing for Rex anyway, because there was always this general expectation that we should be going for promotion. We should be there. We were no divine right. Most fans understand that now. We've been in a division long enough, but. To have the pressure then to compare to what it must be like now, can, can you even imagine what it's like to be a player in the current club? Because let, let's face it, if Wrexham don't go up this season, it's a massive amount of pressure. How does a player cope with that expectation? Because there was a lot on you and the other guys at the time, so God knows what it's like now. Yeah, like I said, the, you know, the, the, the budget, the money, uh, the... You know, it's not Netflix, but all the documentaries. You know, the, like I said, the, the expectation on the actual team now, you know, is through the roof, isn't it? So, and once again, you go keep going back. Was it 15, 16 years in the conference? That's you know, that's even more pressure really getting out of the league year by year. Um, everyone expect them to go up last year. You know, I thought it was too early. I just think the team wasn't ready to be honest. Obviously, I went to a few games as well, watched the watched the team. I just didn't think they had enough. Um, this season, obviously, with the additions they've done now, six, seven players, good players, I think they've got enough to go up. Um, like you said there, the crowd's coming in now, week in, week out. We keep on going back to the Brighton game when there was 11,000 there, I think. You know, once the race course is full, you know, it makes a good noise. So um, now they're getting that week in, week out. Can the players deal with it? I hope they can. Um, but like I said, every individual, once again, is different, isn't it, mentally, how they approach the game. So um, hopefully when, you know, but that, that might be a game you're losing to another home, like the Dover game, for example, they were losing and they managed to get it back. Yeah. Hopefully they have that hunger, do you know what I mean, to, to, to sort of get over the line, basically. Like I said, the conference is a funny league, mate, honestly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be pretty. As long as you get those points on the boards, one nil away from home, that's fine. The, mo the fans will moan, not enough goals. We, we haven't played pretty football and all this, but as long as you get them points on the board and you are where it have to be by the end of the season, that's all that matters. And the did, did, did you did you feel the pressure at the time? And if you did, how did you how did you deal with it, both on the pitch and away from it? Do you know? Do, do you take yourself away from somewhere? Do you do you walk a dog? Do you go and sit by a lake? I'm I'm just I'm curious how our footballer copes with a, a varying, well, a, a growing expectation level. Because as soon as you cross that white line, all the eyes are on you. It's like right, he's got to deliver. Now, yeah. how, how do you how do you cope with that? Um, I'm not going to lie to you, for my own personal experience, I've always been bad before the games. Once right. I go on pitch, I just blank it all out. Right. Whatever. Okay. Could be, you know, 100 people there, or it could be 10,000 people there. It doesn't bother me. 
you know, you could shout whatever you want at me. I'll just blank it out. Uh, before the game, yes, you do get nervous. You know, you walk in the tunnel, you know, you hear the fans going, you know, it's, it gets the whole, you know, sort of heart pumping and you obviously want to perform at your best. Once the kickoff, I sort of blanked that out. But at the same time, it's, um, yeah, like, I don't know, the, with the, the expectations now is so high. It's, it's definitely going to be tough for them. And, um, yeah, the fans just need to get behind them, really. And, you know, if you, you're not performing after 20 minutes, half an hour, you know, don't be moaning, you know, just sort of get on with it and, you know, cheer them on, really, because that's what they need. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, obviously, going back to that, I sort of blanked the whole occasion out of it. Some yeah. players might not be able to do that. I mean, some people, you know, hear everything everyone says and they could just shut down and then, you know, the player's gone, really, from the first minute. Um, you know, some players are really strong, some ain't. But you have to sort of deal with the expectation of the football club because it's not just coming and, you know, being a good footballer. You know, mentally comes a lot into it uh, to get the best performances out of you. So um, they have to be able to deal with it. Yeah, no, that's true enough. So, so let's, let's sort of start bringing it to the end. Um, and uh, says, um, would you say you're settled here now? You've lived here for so long. I mean, once you finish playing for TNS, have you got any plans to go back to Poland or even the Faroes? Or are you a sort of Northwest, North Wales lad now? Yeah, I think I've sort of settled in Wrexham. I think it's one of the places once you enter, you can't leave, can you? Uh, <laughs> in a good way? A league of gentlemen. Yeah, that's, uh, like I said, you know, I've come a lot. Well, I've been TNS now for eight seasons. Um, obviously, I've, I've got a little boy now who's six next month as well. He's going to school, obviously, here, my partner. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm settled here now, to be honest. Um, whether that's after, like I said, the, the football sort of career, I'm hoping I've got a bit left in me. But, um, yes, I've done my coaching badges. I'm doing my interpreter course, um, trying to get into that sort of um, direction. And, uh, yeah, once the football's finished, you know, I'm, you know, whether that's in football or being uh, working, Hopefully, some Wrexham fans will give me a job in the future. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, sure they yeah. will. I'm sure they will, uh, mate. Have you, have you covered the ghost girl, the ghost girl, Andy? Before I came, oh, you on? know what? It was such a ghostly experience. I've absolutely bloody forgotten it. Do you, do got, you count that one on your on your stats? Sid? Yes. Somebody somebody messaged me the other day about it, saying, "Oh, this was funny, wasn't it?" With the bootlegger. Um, <laughs> the, the, the highly sexist comments. Yeah. It was, <laughs> was it but yeah it was mad that wasn't it like you know I mean the fourth official gave the goal after eight minutes when he's you know on the halfway line how can he even see it but um, yeah the most frustrating thing was I think it took eight minutes to give the goal and then two minutes to restart they scored for 3-1 didn't they yeah. <laughs> again your, your then future club in Kidding Mr Harriers what what was your initial reaction you've got you've got it in it's gone straight Good straight goal. through a rip yeah Good great goal. goal watch it back and it's gone through the rip in the side net in I mean, even look, even looking back at the reaction of the Wrexham fans around the goal, they're cheering and they stop cheering. It's like, all oh, right, Mister Gone Wide, but you, you, you've got the best view of it. When, yeah. when, it, when, it, when, when, when the, the referee is Amy Ferns, wasn't it the referee? When she's then signalled that it's it's a goal kick. <laughs> what was your initial first first thought in your head? Can you remember what you said? No, because like you said, there obviously the the initial uh, reaction of their players, kidding they turn around walking back to the you know halfway line because they knew that when. <laughs> Everybody did, apart from the referee. So at the time, I'm like, you know, obviously effing and Jeff and the ref. Do you know what I mean? You go, what are you doing? And all this can't read Texas because it's a podcast. Do you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, at the time, the words weren't too nice. I think from everybody really. 
Uh, but the best one from that was when Rob Ogilvy started to kick the post as if it's the post fault. <laughs> uh, he was aiming for the net, he just missed. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah, but yeah, it was just mad. Like I said, obviously, it was the 2 1 as well. So, important goal to ever get back in the game. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's just one of the mad things that happen in football, I suppose, isn't it? But I think he got a million views in the end of YouTube, didn't they? So, launch through Lager's career. That's yeah, it. he did. He should claim some money back from him. Yeah, um, that's 10p of 10p a clip, is it? <laughs> yeah. See, is it if 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 um if you ever overheard, say in 10, 10, 15 years' time you're in a bar in Ibiza somewhere and you overhear a Wrexham fan talking about players of the past, your name crops up. How would how would you ideally like that conversation to go? How would you like to be remembered? Because we're about to tell you, but I I, I want to pick your brains on how you'd like to be remembered at the club. Um, hopefully positive. Um, hopefully, like I said, hopefully positive moments, not all the you know the bad games. Because like I said, it's 140 games to play for Exum. Yeah. Um, I thought it was more, but if it's 140, I'm guessing your stats are right. I think, no, I mean it's it's 148, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, okay. But like I said, yeah, you know, I've had some shockers in there as well and obviously a few bad games in there, but I could have done more. I, I thought I could have given the club more. Um, whether that's from my choice or not, I think we've covered that part. But yeah, uh, yeah I suppose I don't want it to be seen as a failure because obviously the promotion was the main thing. Um, but like I said, I hope that we've given the fans some sort of glory, like I said, with the obviously the, the, the Wembley trips and either the FA Cup runs. Um, and yeah, hopefully it's just, you know, a positive, positive sort of, uh, you know, the five years I spent in the club. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it would. I think I, I know you mentioned about about that dreaded impact player description. But I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes it can almost immortalise you in one sense. They, oh, yeah, it used to really sort of be a game changer. He, he did have an impact, right, whether it was from the start or otherwise. There used to be a guy years ago called John Paskin, and he was known as Super Sub John Paskin. But people never forget him. They remember yeah. him for what he achieved. Yeah. And I don't think you should take anything away from yourself, whether whether people remember it of having that impact off the bench or or otherwise. I don't think it makes any difference. I think people will will fondly remember you for the contribution you made. And like you said, you know, you you, you churned at a fair few games, and that's. It's probably rare in this day and age that you get over 100, 100 games for a club, to be honest. It probably is. It certainly feels a lot rarer than it, than it ever used to be. So, yeah, I, th- I don't think anybody... I think you're still fondly remembered at the club. And, you know, you've gone on and, and swept the board at TNS. Um, European campaigns. You've now, got a, you've now got a headband, which I completely forgot was like this trademark headband thing. You didn't have the headband at the time of the race course. Um so I think it was, I think it was, it was, it worked out pretty well in the end, wouldn't you say? It's 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 been pretty decent at TNS, and it's give you a good, good springboard for the for the next chapter, sort of post football career. Yes, like you said there. To be fair, when we played in Iceland, uh, one of the lads mentioned to me it was my thirty fifth appearance in Europe. Uh, right. for t- so wow. Um, I didn't realize it was thirty six at home. Obviously, when we played the return leg, but you know that sort of. I've been around the world a little bit with TNS, which, you know, I've never had a chance to do. Um, and yeah, like I said, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a good career. Yes, it could have been better, of course. Obviously, I hope my little boy will have a at least better career than myself. Um, but I look I look at what I've achieved sort of in football and I think it's 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 good. It's not it's not definitely not negative. 
like I said, pitch for some trophies down the line. Um, obviously in the Welsh system, obviously the FA Trophy for Wrexham. And yeah, I think overall it's been it's been okay. But like I said, I'm you know not ready to retire just yet. Hopefully, I can add a bit more to it. And um, I think, yeah, I think if I was just going to echo what I sort of think about your your time, I mean, if I was coming to the race course or away with with someone who who hadn't been to a Wrexham game before, and I saw you on the team sheet, I would say to that person, "Watch this lad." Now it may be you didn't have a great game, but when you did, I would have looked at them and said. Told you, told you this lad's got it, and you know it's going back to Tim, isn't it? Oh yeah, you weren't you weren't consistent. No, of course you weren't. You might it might have been different three or four years down the line if you'd have stayed at Rex and he might have put it all together. Who knows? But I I think you were a very memorable player and memorable in a good way, and I think that's a good sort of sort of memory to have of you at Rex and really. I appreciate that. When you say with all the fans, when you said come and watch, um, well, we're only 10 minutes down the road. We could do with some fans if you wanted to come over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does, does, uh, does Mike Harris still hate Wrexham? Or is he, is, is he quite nice? Uh, no comment. I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's end, on, let's end on the quick fire questions. Um, yeah. First thing that comes into your mind, who's the most skillful? Uh... Oh, you can nominate yourself if you want it. There's no shame in it. I don't know. It depends what you're looking for skillful pace or Curtis Holman was quick. Uh, but yeah. to be fair, very good on the ball. Sam Williamson. Oh, yeah. right. Yes. Wow. Good on that the ball. Personal trainer, Sam Williamson. Yeah. Never been answered to a question here. Yeah. That, that's... Is, that is a curveball answer. Stunning. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, you're surprised by that one. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be less surprised by this. Who is the worst dressed? Uh, Jocelyn Mayerby. Right, okay. <laughs> bad, bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who is the most underrated? Well, I can't say myself. <laughs> and if you want, yeah. other people have, have said themselves. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, like I said, we obviously had this conversation for a long time, didn't we? I, I wish, I wish I'd done more. So yeah, I would have. We'll, we'll, we'll add in who was the most underused, and you can put yourself yeah, on that one. We'll slightly change that one. Yeah, yeah. Most underused. There you go. And yeah, but um, yeah, I'll, yeah. Probably, you know, at the time, yeah. Who is the biggest moaner? Oh, there was a few. There was a few. Oh, Jay Harris loved the moan. Yeah. Oh, but I suppose that's a Scouse thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're born with that, mate. Yeah, we've um, got now, so nothing changes, to be fair. And the final one of the quick fire round, which former teammate would you least like to fight? Oh, do you know what? Yeah, we've got Simon Spender with us, right? But he, I didn't play under him, but he's a TNS now. He always wants to get the gloves on and thinks he's a good fighter. So right. I'd love to give Spencer a Spencer boxing match. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wind up for Spender. Sis, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for being so so frank and, and open. I know mm. there was some, you know, some some quite difficult questions there. Um, but you know, really pleased you've come on and you've talked really well about your career. And, and we thank you for that. No worries, and I'm very sorry. It's been a pleasure. 
Yeah, definitely. Right. Andy said it's been great. Thank you so much for, for being honest about stuff. And yeah, good luck. Keep on doing what you're doing and um, get yourself down to, to the club and see how these players handle the pressure. That's it. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be the one shouting from the side now. <laughs> yeah, give, give, give them hell. Give them hell. Yeah, that's it. Cheers, fellas. Cheers. Cheers Thank cheers. you. Cheers. Right. Thank you very much, Adrian. Uh, Adrian, Adrian, I think he said uh, Yeah, he said, I think he, no, he definitely said my pronunciation of Chislevitz was, was Bob on. So I'm going to take that. Very interesting chat. Um, interesting before we got on to the, to the Omerod stuff, but I think he talked to, talked to very well on that really. And, you know, show the passion that that, that fella has. And I wish him all the best in the future. If he wants to go on and, you know, do coaching and stuff like that, which he said, great. Yeah. So let's get on to predictions. Now, Reese is still away, so we can pick his predictions. I'm going to go for two five-all draws from Reese. Does anyone? How did we get on in the, in the, the last game? Well, I'm going to tell you how we got in the last game, because someone went one one each. And do you want to know who the, that, that awesome fellow was? Do you tell. Mr. Andrew Paul Gilpin. So five points to I him. I thought you went two each. No, I went one each. I've written it in my notebook. Can't see Has that, that been inked out? Hang on. Well, we can just listen to last week's podcast where I actually went one each. So, you know, it's all good. Yeah. Anyway, Tim got nothing. Liam got nothing. I got five points. So I am... King of the World, I think it's called. Um, right, Tim Chesterfield away, followed by Mason at home. Oh, Chesterfield, I'd love, I'd love to beat him again. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still confident we will. The worm has turned in our, our form against them. So I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for two nil. I'm going to same as last year, two nil. Um, against Chesterfield and Maidstone at home. Uh, you know what? Two old draw. I don't know why. What? I don't know why. You're asked about a face here. I know. I, 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 yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know why. Um, I just think it'll be a similar situation to last year where we're, we're still not, not really hitting the heights at home at the start. Okay. Right, I'm going to go next and I'm going to go for a nervy one niller away at Chesterfield because I just love shoving it up those Derbyshire fellows. I was going to say something different, but fellows will do. I actually think we'll beat Maidenhead, uh, sorry, uh, Maidstone pretty easily. I think it's going to be 3-1. Liam? I am going to go for a one-all draw at Chesterfield. Yeah. Uh, followed by a 3 nil win at home. Okay, great. Brilliant. So we're going to be top of the league by the end of this. You heard it here first. Um, well, thanks, Ray. When Reese finally does his uh, forfeit as well, not that we'll ever go on about it much more, much longer. No, he's got. He, I think his forfeit is he's got to have to sell the fanzine issue five, which is coming up soon, and I've, we've already started going through it, haven't we, Tim? Waiting for Liam's copy. He's always last, but um, we've already started moving through it. 
It'd be more fun if we have him on wearing a swimming cap so he can do an, a, a good impression of Jason Muhammad for one episode. Because we know okay. how much it pisses him off deep down. So yeah, let's get, get him with the brogues, poor jeans, badly cut suit jacket, a swimming cap. Um, and let's see how, how, how far into Jason Muhammad's psyche he can go. It's a dark, dark place. I don't think even Reese wants to go in thing. there. Does he have to block all the Wales fans on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. Anybody all fans of, of every sport, every nation. And he, ha- he has to do some malicious flirting with every female co-host he, he's ever starred with. Including Hazel Irvine and Claire Balding. Oh, wow. Balance. Right, okay. <laughs> on that note, on that bombshell, we are going to say goodnight. So... Good night, Liam. No stop. Good night, Tim. These these podcasts are timeless, so I'm going to say have a good day. Yeah, yeah. And good night, (laughs) Reese, wherever you are. All right, speak soon. Bye.